Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 33 of Cardboard Time. This is Arwen, and today we're looking at a few games I've played recently. I'm going to be flying solo again today, uh, but we do have a interview with Chris Solis from Solis Game Studio in the second half. So a little bit of content up front about what I've been playing recently, but make sure that you stay tuned for that interview interview on the back half. It is really good. Today's beer of the day is the Hofbrau Dunkel. I went to the Hofbrau house in Buffalo for my mom's birthday with my mom and dad, and I've got to say, I absolutely love the balance on this. Uh, despite it being dark, it's got a great drinkability and sweetness, and it's only five and a half percent. So you can have a couple of them if you want, and you're probably going to want to. Uh, lots of malt to it, too. I, I think basically anytime that I swing by the Hofbrau house, there is one in Cleveland. This is going to be a must-have, and I gave this a four and a half. I really love this. Very drinkable, and definitely need some more Hofbrau Dunkel. Well, now it's time to check the shelf of shame, and it is at 149. That is down one, and sub 150, which is great. Five new additions, so there's been quite a bit of activity. Three games came from God's A Lot of Games, uh, took a little trip up there, and picked up Equinox and Mercado de Lisboa on sale. Uh, Equinox, I really love the artwork on that, and Ellie's been bugging me for a while to pick that up. Uh, Reiner Knizia game that has been rebranded a few times. This one just kind of hit the spot with the different creatures uh, that were on the cards. I really love the artwork on that. And Mercado de Lisboa, how could you really go wrong with a light Vitale Lacerda game? I mean, come on. I had to pick that one up at the price point. And Iberian Gage, I absolutely want to support Amabel Holland. I've been following her on Twitter recently and wanted to check out one of her games. So I picked up Iberian Gage. And Doomlings came in, finally, uh, from Kickstarter, so I was excited to see that at my doorstep. And Sovereign Skies was a very deep discount game from Deepwater Games, which I said, well, I've wanted to play this for a while, why don't I just pick it up? And quite a good deal on that uh, one-day little sale that uh, just got an email about and said, why not? Uh, played six games in addition to Equinox, Mercado de Lisboa, Doomlings, Sovereign Skies. I also played Corrosion, and I will have my thoughts on that once I do get to play it with some other people. And Set a Watch Swords of the Coin is the other game that we got to the table, and I will be talking about that later this episode, along with Doomlings and a couple of other games. So why don't we just jump into what we've been playing, and I wanted to start with Cape May from 2021. This plays from 1 to 4 players in 60 to 120 minutes, designed by Eric Masso, and the artist is Michael Menzel, published by Thunderworks Games. In Cape May, players traverse the city streets as entrepreneurs developing property while building wealth over four seasons to earn prestige. 
build cottages, develop them into Victorian homes, and upgrade them into historic landmarks, establish shops and grow them into profitable businesses, carefully move around the city and make strategic use of activity cards, complete bonus goals, then take some time to relax and spot wildlife in the best place for birdwatching in the northeastern United States. Whoever best balances their income, development, movement, and personal goals will go down in history as the most successful developer of Cape May. So, Just to clarify, this was a review copy that was furnished by Thunderworks Games, and I just wanted to be upfront and transparent about that. Uh, This was a big departure from the themes that we're used to seeing from Thunderworks producing. So normally I'm used to a lot of games like Roleplayer and Lockup and Cartographers, kind of more of the fantasy theme. So to see them kind of diverge from that a little bit, I was very, very intrigued to see what they were going to do with this. And I absolutely love the theme on it. Uh, The gorgeous game art that this game has really does convey the theme and the sense of what period it was in in American history. And I, I didn't know much about Kate May and I'm still kind of learning, but getting these action cards that kind of came out, and I'll discuss those in a minute, uh, really kind of gave you a little bit of a, a history on Cape May, what it was, and what went on there. I didn't know about all the fires that were going on, but that was something that I discovered and was actually implemented into the game in a pretty cool way. A couple of complaints I do have, and they're fairly minor, uh, the red and green uh, shop and house tiles and the other colored components, not necessarily the three-dimensional shops and mansions, but just the the tiles themselves uh, and the meeples were a little bit of an issue for me uh, for colorblindness. We wound up playing with the yellow and blue pieces and we were fine. But when you do get more of a higher player count, that could be an issue, uh, especially if you're red, green, colorblind. So that was one issue that we did notice. The bird watching, while incredibly thematic, um, really seemed to kind of take a backseat to the building and area control aspects of the game. I played it with Allie and I was able to integrate it a little bit more than she did, really trying to stop on those spaces a little bit more and try to... Uh, make the best of them. It's definitely something that you can integrate into your game, but if you're really, really going for that area control element, it's probably going to be something that you either minimize or kind of skip over. And then some people have said online that there's a lot of moving parts, uh, specifically the round tracker. I can see that. I didn't really have too many issues keeping up with the board. I basically appointed myself in charge of keeping up with it. So I think that would be a smart thing for players to do is to make sure that you assign one person to keep track of that and make sure that that round tracker is moving. So back on to a couple of other things, random events like I talked about really did add a nice flavor to the game. Without adding too much swinginess, I know that random events can sometimes really swing the game in favor of one player or the other, and we didn't really experience that. Uh, You could still do what you wanted to do within reason, so they didn't 
hinder you too much, but they did add some flavor and and, uh, spice things up a little bit. Uh, They also make each game feel a little bit different depending on the order and the cards that come out. This was fairly easy to teach. Uh, There's a lot that's going on on the player aid itself uh, as far as symbology and that, but I really didn't feel like once you got into it, uh, that it was that overwhelming. And it gave you a nice reference to know what your prices were, what you got as far as income, uh, laid it out for you in a very nice way. And it was a very easy reference to kind of look at, Uh, but very heavy on the strategy. And you may lose a lighter player on this one. It's a little bit borderline for those newer players that really don't have any experience with games. But this is one, if you're looking for that next step, I think that people will be fine with this at a at a medium weight. Upper lights, lower medium should be able to pick this up. And of course, people who are a little bit more experienced than that. And then the production quality is absolutely outstanding. Again, it's a gorgeous game with very gorgeous artwork, and the meeples were very good. The uh, sculpts on the the mansions and the shops and that um, really... They almost weren't necessary. I think you could have uh, gotten away without them, but having them in there made the game board just so cool to look at. I was glad that they were in there. So uh, my final thoughts on this game, this really could supplant El Grande as kind of my favorite area control game with how easy it is to explain and get to the table. Uh, The theme combines very well with the mechanisms, and this is an absolutely gorgeous game to look at. It is staying on my shelf, there's no question about that. I do foresee this uh, getting played a little bit more, possibly with heavier player counts. And again, probably will have to do something with that red-green issue that I'm having. Just make sure that I'm able to distinguish between those two. But other than that, quite a good game. Really, really enjoyed Cape May. Had a great time with it. And I think that you might as well. And now on to a very new release that is Doomlings, which plays two to six players. It is from 2022 in 20 to 45 minutes and designed by Eric McCoy, Justice Meyer, Andrew Meyer, and Chris Svela. The artist is Justice Meyer and published by McCoy and Meyer. In Doomlings, players are species inhabiting a distant planet trying to compete for supremacy by scoring the most points before the world ends. Players will play traits to score points and activate effects and will potentially be hindered or helped by different ages that the planet goes through. Once a catastrophe card hits, the next era starts. Once the third catastrophe hits, the world ends and players score up their points. The player with the highest point total wins. So if you want to go back for a little bit of my history with this game, take a look at episode 11. I did a interview with the team behind this game. So on to my thoughts of this game. This was the first time that I had gotten my hands on it. Uh, I did back this on Kickstarter, and I was very, very impressed with the production value on this. The cards were a very heavy weight. You got some hollow foil uh, cards as well that were kind of random that were put into the box and 
excellent, excellent production value. Very, very impressed by that. Uh, this game is extremely easy to pick up and play for anybody. It's about a five minute teach super quick to pick up for the teacher and then the people that are playing the game also very easy for them to pick it up as well and then not a huge amount of times where you wouldn't be able to explain the effect of something the game length was definitely quick enough not to overstay its welcome but it was long enough to keep everybody at the table very satisfied it, it is take that heavy i will say that for people who really don't like take that games and really kind of want to stay in their own space. This does have a lot of take that elements in it, but they didn't really feel heavy handed. And I will compare this to another game uh, at the end. And I will say that there are games that feel much more heavy handed and much more unfair uh, than this did. And I, I really appreciated that about this game. Super cute artwork. You're basically dealing with all these little round balls that have these expressions on them. Uh, they're the Doomlings, so they're super cute, but you're talking about a super serious topic with the end of the world. Uh, so I thought that the artwork provided a nice juxtaposition between uh, the subject material and the, the gameplay and the artwork. I thought that that was really cool. And then uh, there was a double coating for colorblindness, the color and the outer border pattern. Um, um, you know, both matching up. I did not see a reference that told which outer border pattern corresponded to which color, but that's the only improvement that I could see to make with this. So I, I'm assuming that anybody, you know, and, and probably somebody will <laughs> very soon uh, provide kind of a little reference card uh, for those people who are colorblind to be able to match those up. And then some cards actually do refer to a color uh, in text. That would be nice just to have that little linkage between the color and the pattern on the outside. I think that was the only improvement that I could think to make in this. So for my final thoughts on this, I would absolutely consider this to be a much better, uh, newer player-friendly alternative to a take that game like Munchkin. And that was the game that I was talking about that I was going to compare this to with a lot of take that with a, a lighter, newer player-friendliness this game blows that out of the water and I would never see, you know, another reason to really get Munchkin out while this existed. I preferred this. I thought it was a little bit more uh, easier to play. The rules were a lot easier. There wasn't as much uh, interpretation. This was much more straightforward and, and streamlined. I thought this was a great little portable card game uh, that's really satisfying enough for all skill levels. And one of the things that the team mentioned in their interview was that they wanted to create a game that was inviting and fun for everybody. And I really think that they hit that out of the park. This is satisfying for just about every single skill level. Probably your very, very heavy players aren't going to necessarily like this one, but just about everybody else that wants to get together with their family, friends, people who don't necessarily play board games and card games all the time. This is super easy to pick up and super satisfying. So definitely staying on my shelf. I am going to be getting this out probably quite a bit with the two to six player count uh, with some of my larger groups as events happen, have a you know couple of couples over. It's going to be very easy to hit the table. So I see a lot of doomlings in my future as well. 
And now on to a 2020 release, and this is Pocket Paragons. I'm finally circling back to. Uh, this plays two players uh, from three to 15 minutes, designed by Brian McKay and published by Solis Game Studio. Pocket Paragons is an intense three-minute duel with asymmetric decks. Players pick a Paragons deck of seven cards from a large assortment and take the deck into their hands. During each round, each player will choose a card to play simultaneously. Once both cards are revealed, characters either take damage, have their card canceled and sent back to their hand, or are immediately defeated. The first player to defeat their opponent is the winner. So this is a sleeper hit from Pax U from me. I thought that this was incredibly underrated. Came from absolutely nowhere. Like, I did not see this coming. I didn't hear about it. I had no idea. And then we went to the media publisher event ahead of Pax U, and this thing was so cool. Met the team there, sat down for a game. I looked at it and I'm like, okay, this is kind of like a, a deeply strategic rock, paper, scissors game. I, I get it. That's cool. This really feels more like a perfect kind of capture of a fighting game uh, into a small compact card game. There's a lot of strategy that goes into this, but it's, it's an amazing format with seven cards. Really, really enjoyed that, uh, just how compact it was, just how small of a footprint that it could take up, uh, much like a lot of button shy games, but you have this strategy and intense outwitting your opponent and trying to outthink them. One of the other things that really struck me was the execute mechanism. Uh, so basically, if you play the right card, uh, while your opponent is resting, if you attack them with your like super high attack as they're resting, you immediately defeat them and win. So it, it's really a matter of when do I play my cards? What order do I play them in? There's counters. So you're constantly trying to play your opponent as opposed to playing the game, uh, which I thought was really, really cool. And it keeps both players into the game uh, with the execute mechanism, even when one is low on health, you know, keeping both of those players in the game and keeping things Things exciting. This is very easy to explain, very easy for newer players to pick up. There's absolutely no color vision issues. Uh, everything is very simple and text-based, so there was no problems with that. And one more comment that I wanted to make is that the solo version is also fantastic as well. It's very simple, intuitive, and puts up a great fight against you, uh, especially when you have these little challenges that come out. They get extremely difficult to defeat. You really have to bring your A-game and have a little bit of luck on your side as well. I really like this. This is probably going to be packed with me for small on-the-go duels with others. So I can take a couple of sets of these, give one to a friend and say, here, let's pick this up. Let's do a couple of rounds. We can switch. Each character feels different. So it, it just provides such a, a great feel. It sets up quick, plays quick, and you just want to keep playing. Uh, so this is 100% staying on my shelf. Getting more content as it's released, I'm already looking forward to more content out of this game. I picked up a bunch of it at PAX U, and I will definitely be picking up 
some more pocket paragons. And you're going to want to stay tuned because after I talk about this next game, we are going to have an interview with Chris Solis right after the break. So make sure that you stay tuned for that as well. So that was Pocket Paragons, and the last game that we are going to talk about at the front of the episode is Set a Watch, Swords of the Coin from 2021. This plays from one to four players in 60 to 75 minutes. It was designed by Todd Walsh and published by Rock Manor Games. The kingdom is in grave danger once again, but our mighty adventurers are nowhere to be found. The king has stepped in and offered to pay any mercenary for taking up arms against the darkness. This quest falls on the shoulders of four mercenaries, each with a unique set of skills to band together and vanquish this evil from the kingdom. Set a Watch Swords of the Coin is both a standalone game and an expansion that can be combined with the original cooperative game. Featuring all new characters, this bunch of adventurers has to be motivated to work together. Every round you will visit all new locations and pick an adventurer to rest and get paid to take camp actions. You can use this coin to purchase powerful items from the new merchant board and item deck. These items will assist the rest of the party on watch as they battle a line of all new creatures trying to make their way into camp. It is still a battle to keep the campfire burning. Use your wits and skill to fight for the light or all will perish in the darkness. So I played the original set of watch at PAX U with Jamie, and I immediately picked up the expansion the next day. I loved it. I had a great time with it. I thought that it was a very, very clever game, and I was itching to get Swords of the Coin out to the table. Uh, Finally did with Allie, and I'm so glad that I did. The expansion... For those who have played the base game, like the description said, it does add a merchant that you can buy very, very handy items from. Uh, Things like increasing your range, which is incredibly handy on uh, melee characters. I will definitely say that giving them range is a great idea. What stuck out to me the most though, uh, as I was teaching the game, instead of having it taught to me, I was using the theme to do so. So things like tending to the fire, scouting ahead, they all made sense. And mechanically, they also made sense. Uh, Kudos to them for kind of tying things together and that smart design and nomenclature. Again, I played this with Allie. She's getting some experience with games, but, you know, she's still on the lighter side. Uh, She did pick it up extremely easy. We were up and running after we got a round going. It was super easy for her to just catch on and pick up and be very effective. So the asymmetric power skills all felt unique. Uh, Allie couldn't get the heretics powers syncing up for her very well. Uh, Personally, I loved the bounty hunter most of all. Uh, The barbarian was fun. The witch was very fun. She played uh, the witch as well. And uh, we had a lot of fun with uh, using the powers, but the bounty hunter can actually take trophies and use those trophies as an assistant to help them defeat enemies. So there's some really cool powers in there. Uh, Again, the utilizing the box as part of the experience and making it a board is just 
smart design to me. Use the uh, box here advantage. Uh, don't have too many components. I love that. I think that that's a great idea. This does have a very big game feel in a small package. Uh, so with the dice placement, you're able to go and, and kind of get that big game experience, but not have to lug this huge box around with you, which everybody knows by now, if you've listened to me at all, you know that I'm a big fan of those types of games. And this does play a little bit long the first time around. Uh, I found it does take a little bit to kind of get rolling and know what your options are, know what your abilities are. But once you do, by the end of the game, it does roll on very well. So I would say that 75 minutes for the first game might be a little bit more around 90. But once you really know what you're doing, things do move along at a pretty good clip. So for my final thoughts on this, this is an amazing experience. This does add more content on top of what is already a stellar game uh, that I love. The merchant mechanism was very welcome, feels right at home to newer players. So people who jump into this without playing the original you're not missing anything necessarily, but you are um, able to just jump right in and the merchant mechanism is very, very intuitive. No danger of this leaving the shelf. And again, I will be looking for expansion content to this in the future. So that is Set a Watch, Swords of the Coin. Well, and stay tuned because after the break, we have an interview with Chris Solis from Solis Game Studio. Welcome back, everybody. And on today's interview segment, we have Chris Solis. He is the designer of Temporal Odyssey and games producer at Solis Game Studio. Solis is a publisher of games like Frenemy Pastry Party, which looks absolutely adorable, by the way, and a game that's certainly been getting a lot of buzz around social media lately, Pocket Paragons. Chris, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. So can you tell our audience a little bit about your history in the gaming industry? I start off in video games doing user research for 2K games. And at some point I was like, yo, kind of like board games. And I went to go make an indie board game out of my garage kind of thing in like 2013. Mm -hmm. And eventually that led to opportunities in tabletop games. I worked for Level 99 for a couple of years and... Uh, at the start of 2020, I decided to go start Solis Game Studio and publish my own titles, along with doing uh, studio work for various other board game publishers. And that's how I got to where I am now. During COVID lockdown, uh, the timing of going uh, solo was probably truly terrible, but it kind of worked out in favor <laughs> because I got to like bunker down in the garage and like just make games for a solid year. And uh, that's how we're here now. Well, very cool. And we met at PAXU this year. I got to try out Pocket Paragons, which certainly, again, has a lot of people on social media talking. And initially, I had described it as a very, very strategic rock, paper, scissors. But the way that I kind of view it now after playing multiple, multiple rounds of it is it's more like a fighting game in a compact card design. Can you tell us a little bit more about the game? Yeah. So it's definitely designed to be like a micro fighting game it has a whole one more game feel we want people to complete the game loop 
and then go again. So then that way you can begin to think about your opponent as opposed to like the card effects and whatnot. And that's reflective in the game's length and the execute mechanic. Also over here, we're a huge fan of fighting games. It's things we play all the time. I'm familiar with the fighting game community and I love the design of fighting games. We wanted to make sure that that feel was embedded into Pocket Paragons that have this Yomi system, everything has a counter, everything has a counter play, and you begin thinking about your opponent outside of the game. And that's how we get landed with Pocket Paragons. And can you detail a little bit more about the development process of not only the original Pocket Paragons, but the uh, expansion content to it as well? I know that you have a solo mode out and multiple different uh, expansions. Yeah. So it started about seven years ago when I asked my friend Brian McKay if he wanted to help work on a game with me. This is like 2013 when we came up with the idea of a game called Rise of the Paragons. Oh, wow. uh, he's the game designer at the heart. I did some dev work. Some of these, I, I've injected some ideas, but he is the game designer. And over the last seven years, we've gone through a lot of different shapes. It was like this longer 30-minute game where you have like three characters, like an RPG game. There was a version where it's kind of like Pacific Rim where you play as two characters and you have to play uh, abilities at the same time to get like synergy bonuses. And then we eventually got down to the idea of like, what if this game was just five minutes? And what if instead of you know, getting the execute, doing bonus damage, you just lose. And it started off as like an absurd idea, but it, it eventually allows allowed us to compact the game idea down to this five-minute cycle. And uh, then we were having a lot of fun, and we realized we should call it Pocket Paragons and make it now. So it's funny how much time it took to make this uh, small asset count game, but it's been an idea that we've been thinking about for years, literally years. Now, regarding the like add-on content, like with, let's talk about Aegis and working with Breeze and Zephyr Workshop. There was a Gen Con where we were pitching the, the mech pilot version of Rise of the Paragons to Breeze, because Breeze is the mech guy, right? He just loves robots and stuff. It's like, hey, we have a, a game idea for you. And we pitched it to him about simultaneous action where two people control mech, you put the cards on a reveal, and then that's your mech's attack. And, you know, before that, I was kind of friends with Breeze, but I think after that, we, we developed a business relationship, and now we're, like, actually friends. We kind of, like, hang out on Discord and stuff. You know, we have, um, it's a little closer than just a partnership. And once it became Pocket Paragons, we're like, yo, we should totally do a crossover. He plans to make Aegis 2, and it just seemed like a good idea, and we did it. That's how we ended up with the Aegis Pocket Paragons. Uh, we also have Rivals of Ether Pocket Paragons, which is a platform fighter on Steam. That kind of stems from my involvement with um, the Smash Bros. community. I've been playing that game for actually 20 years, and I'm pretty familiar with most of the people in it. So, you know, I just kind of sent Dan, the owner of, um, of Rivals, a tweet, and I'm like, hey, you want to make a card game? He said yes, and then we sent paperwork <laughs> like a week later. So it's really straightforward. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think that that would happen normally, but I think because we have so many mutuals, even though we haven't actually met, that it was fine. And then, you know, we sent him proofs. He likes our work. And we plan to showcase rivals of Ether Pocket Paragons at um, fighting game events like uh, Genesis or S um, CEO. Oh, that's so cool. I See, I love stories like that where people are just like willing to take a chance and say, hey, why don't we do this crazy thing? And then the person on the other end is just like, yeah, yeah, let's let's go ahead and do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think it leads to some really, really cool ideas being brought to life. And I love to see it. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, I don't know, I mean, we sent him a, a sample, of course. And I think that when he saw the actual fighting game nature of the game, that, you know, the public has a lot to do with it, as opposed to just this is a card game with fighting game characters in it, you know? 
And, and talking about Breeze, I think it's really interesting hearing your story interacting with him because he is a mile a minute for anybody that knows him. And that sounds about right. We're going to try to have him on in a future episode. And that's that's pretty much it. That's his absolute 100% personality of just go. Let's get this done. Let's work together. Let's let's grow this community and let's come up with cool stuff. Yeah, the amount of times I've ended up in like a retreat or a space with Breeze for several days at a time is very high. And it's always like that. Like we would do cons together. When I used to work for Level 99 Games, I subcontracted him to come help me run these cons. So we would go and uh, for like a week or two and be like, okay, we ran this con. Now we're going to hang out this Airbnb for four days and work on our games. Then we're going to run another con. And then <laughs> on those four days, we would just just game design, talk about games, you know, talk about movies, and just jam ideas. So it, it was, you know, Pocket Paragon's Aegis is like almost guaranteed to happen, right? So, <laughs> so any future plans from yourself and Solus Game Studios? Actually, let me take a step back to Pocket Paragon's content. I just realized I didn't talk about the solo mode, and I think there's a fun story here. Uh, so when we did the Kickstarter, we're like, I guess we got to have a solo mode, right? And we made up a solo mode, and it ended up being like really good. Like I'm almost embarrassed on how good it is and how little effort we put into it. Brian did such a good job on it. So we we put it in the game, and we're like, this is so good, that we, and we're giving it away for free. <laughs> so if you did the Kickstarter, you got you got the solo mode for free. Later, we made it a skew because. You know, it is better and less confusing that way also. You know, like, oh, here's some solo board cards. You don't know what to do with them. We want mm-hmm. it to be a product on its own. I'm just so excited on how well received this solo mode is. And I didn't really get it until somebody shared this piece of information with me. I'm like, who are these solo gamers? I don't get it. And somebody told me, you know, it's a good way to make any game a co-op, for, especially for non-gamers. Like, if someone wants to show their friend Pocket Paragons, they don't have to go to head-to-head. They can just do a solo run, and then win the game together. And I was like, that's great. I'm really glad that we did it. And that makes me want to always have a solo mode from now on for anything we make. Well, in one of the other conversations I was having today, we were talking about solo gaming and just how much it's proliferated. And I think one of the other things is being able to go in and learn a game and then share it with others. So it it kind of aligns with what you were saying where, okay, you could play it co-op and share it that way, but you can also learn it and teach it, and then you can play it with the original intent uh, with your friends as well. So that's what I usually use the solo mode for if it's not a solo-only game. That makes sense. Um, And that's great, you know, especially for more complex games. You can try it out and get all those little rule bumps out early, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's absolutely critical to board game design, and it's funny, like, it just didn't really hit me until we got the solo mode for Pocket Paragons in there. Uh, we call it training mode. So, <laughs> so yeah, we definitely have plans for other Pocket Paragons content. Like, our idea and our vision on it was that um, there's a Pocket Paragons co- um, box, and it has content from a certain series. Then you can get that Pocket Paragons box, like, at the respective booth. Not necessarily our booth. So like a PAX Unplugged, you could go to the Aegis booth and get the Aegis box, right? And mm-hmm. of course, you can come to our booth and get our box. Like, what if there were more? You know, what if you're at a show and there's three places that are selling pocket par- their respective pocket paragons? And then you can just get any of them, play them together, and play in line, and just run into opponents at a con. So it's kind of, des- you know, its whole approach is very much convention culture to kind of like get people to play these quick games with each other. 
I think we've forgotten a little bit about that with cons going away, just how intriguing and exciting those little pickup games that you have either going on in line or sitting down at a table, maybe eating lunch, and all of a sudden somebody comes by and they see that you've got something out and they'll just walk by and say, hey, I've got that too. Let's sit down and play a match. I've missed that. And I think one of the the cool things about coming back to conventions are those spontaneous interactions. Absolutely. And like, it seemed like it was going to go away because, you know, we're planning Pocket Paragons and then COVID hit and we're like, well, rip. Um, And I wasn't sure if we're going to have like hard pivot. We waited. The PAX Unplugged that just passed is our first show. And we're like, you know, we'll do it, and if it ends up being a bad idea, we'll just try something else. But I think you're right. People are, are excited for these kind of interactions and reasons to connect. So you know, we're hoping people find that with Pocket Paragons. Yeah, and you, you just don't make those same connections online that you do in person. And it was a huge relief to be back and just kind of talking to people spontaneously and meeting up with people and saying, oh, yeah, I've seen your content on the internet, or, yeah, I've heard about this, tell me a little bit more. Those kinds of interactions don't really happen online all that much, so it was nice to kind of get back to that. Yeah, because you're at PAX, and you're there to discover, right? So you're already in the mindset of, like, I'm willing to be given information that I'm unfamiliar with. It's different than me sitting down on my computer and, you know, going through my ritual. This is just a higher discovery rate. And you get to combine it with meeting new cool people. Like, the amount of people I've met at a con that I'm close to now is, is pretty high. People mm-hmm. like Breeze. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. right? Perfect so, example. Yeah. We hope to create a Pocket Paragon set for different series and then respect that series within the box. Like, the rivals of either box. In that game, uh, it's a platform fire. There's a lot of movement. You can't block in that game, right? So, the Pocket Paragon's character's literally don't have a block function <laughs> they just have more like we'll call it movement the equivalent of movement like a lot of denial options and we try to capture that feeling of rivals um and by getting their core mechanic and making it the same core mechanic in the box and we're hoping to do that with uh future pocket paragons content as well no i really like that and one of the interesting marketing strategies i saw was opening up my box for pocket paragons uh, origins and seeing those little dividers with the promo characters in there. And I got a ton of promo content from PAX, but I'm missing a couple of the characters, and I find it very interesting, you know, the the fact that now I've got to come see you guys again and swing by the booth again at future conventions because I need those characters now. Yeah, you can see what else is up too, yeah. Our whole idea with conventions is that we will have one of those dual sets at a show, and that dual set at that show is free. So if you show up, we will give it to you. Then moving forward, then it becomes a, an item that gets that gets bought. We want people to consistently be playing Pocket Paragons at a convention. And if you can come to our booth and get something for free to share with people, that'd be great. Like you said, you also want to fill that box, right? Like, uh, we designed the box to fit a massive amount of characters, so you can kind of, like, complete the box you know if you already get all four existing pocket paragons boxes it fits exactly in one box and Hmm. you have a divider for every character any thoughts for season two or future content uh yeah we definitely have a lot of ideas and we even got some approaches at the last packs unplugged like several people want to work with us so (laughs) we'll see um i can't say who or what but i think that we'll find something here especially since our print run is being evaporated so I don't think it's going to survive January, and then we can reprint, and we'll probably do another 
uh, we're probably going to do a game found for the reprint, and then we'll um, maybe introduce new content at that time. We're still working it out, but I think that this spring you'll see some Pocket Paragon stuff on there. Very, very cool. Now, I want to pivot a little bit, and the Solis Game Studio website mentions that it is Latinx-owned. Have you seen much of a shift in diversity and inclusion in the industry in the past few years, and how important has that been to kind of growing the hobby? Yeah, um, I've definitely seen a shift. And when I think of a space that's fighting very hard to be inclusive, I think of tabletop games. I see a massive amount of activity from that group than over other groups that I'm part of. And it, I think it's something to something that feels good. It's something that I want to be a part of. And it's something that I want to make sure that the way I run my family business, it can highlight that. It can it can show that this is, this is good. So, you know, I, I kind of built my company around the idea of my morals, who I hire, making sure she's a family business, and then make it profitable. Make it a company after that, you know? I, mm-hmm. I feel like we see too much of the reverse. I agree. I absolutely agree. I think the the vibe that I got from your booth was just this very organic kind of family and friends, you know, type of company. And oh yeah, we sell games too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I mean, we're hanging out. We're having a good time. Okay, we're, running the company is a lot of fun. Let's put it that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, so I do the producing stuff. My sister does a lot of character design. So um, you'll see in our future games that she's the one who really makes these characters and makes these character sheets. She likes to illustrate. She's also really good at storytelling. So she helps me with the lore. It helps me with a little bit of the marketing. That's like the ch- most of the chunk of the work. My sister and I. Then we we have you know contractors that we work with. Uh, some of them are friends, <laughs> and some of them are people we hired. We keep it small, and we don't want to like lose control. You know what I mean? We want to make sure that we can create the space we want, where it's fun and it's a business. Come hang out with us, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. No, I I definitely got that feeling, and it again, it kind of felt like friends and family, uh, which is very inviting and very welcoming. So uh, you're doing a great job of that. What would you say your other interests besides uh, board gaming are? You've mentioned Smash Brothers and the fighting game community. Anything else outside of that? Yeah, so I will say that's like my biggest axis. Like, what else? What do I do? I'm, I'm going to boot up a fighting game and play it like literally every night. Um, just for a few minutes or check out the community or go to those events. Like, I like going to those major events and getting my friends together and be like, yeah, we're going to get like, like sweet. I'm going to play video games all day right? (laughs) Then I will go home back to reality. Outside of that space, I'm trying to learn guitar. I'm real bad right now, but I wanted to learn an instrument and it's been too long. So I'm really focusing on learning that. I like to draw. I like to write stories. And that's one of those things where like a lot of the things I like to do for fun ultimately feed back into Solis Game Studio. (laughs) Where Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I'm writing a little story. Wouldn't this be a great setting for a game? And then (laughs) then it goes nuts from there. So um, really, I, I, I just... You know, I have fun all the time. That's all I do. And then I, then I sell those ideas. <laughs> so. Any particular genre of music you're looking to play? Uh, it's hard to say. Right now, I'm still exploring exactly what I'm going to play. You know, I mean, I like classic rock and I like acoustic rock. Mm-hmm. I'll probably start there. But, you know, for the first songs I learn, I, I'm not I'm not sure what that's actually going to be yet. We got We got We got a ways to go here. <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. Still in still in those very introductory stages so far. Yeah. Now, Super Smash Brothers, um, you being a big fan of that, who who is your main that you run on there? So I'm definitely the Identity Crisis kind of player where I would switch my main like every two months. But for the last year, I've stuck with Marth for Ultimate. 
mm-hmm. and that's going pretty good for me. So I feel like I really know this character right now. I like the idea of the bonus damage with the right spacing. Um, there's definitely a Pocket Paragons character that's exactly like that. So <laughs> I think it's going pretty good. It's really reflective of, like, of how I'm thinking at the time. I used to play more aggressive characters, and now I'm playing more patient characters. As I found myself just being more of a patient person. So I think that's kind of funny. <laughs> well, I mean, we evolve as people. Why wouldn't our character choices evolve as well? <laughs> right, yeah. So what is on your table from a board gaming perspective right now, other than Pocket Paragons? We love Radlands and the Power Rangers deck building game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most... Well, let me take a step back. The amount of games that come through here is insane. Like, uh, we have a box that we got from PAX Unplugged with, like, actually 30 games in it. And we just kind of, like, traded with every other person on the show floor, right? Mm-hmm. Um so we have a bunch of games there. Then we have even more for my former roommate who also gets them. So we'll play like a different game every single time. We'll never play the same game twice. So if we play a, same, a game more than once, like we love it. Um, we have played a lot of Radlands and a lot of the Power Rangers deck building game because we're actually like super into it. We're like, okay, you guys want to get sweaty and play again? <laughs> so <laughs> we'll, we'll keep going on that. So yeah, we really love that game. Um, Radlands is extremely impressive not only from a game but from like a product perspective like just the way they did the box and the rule book like it's it's inspiring it's so good oh the aesthetics on that are absolutely insane we just played it for the first time last night jamie and i did and it's amazing it's absolutely amazing it's so good like just wow i love the little box they made i love the card layout it's it's so good I, I can go off on it all day, so let's, let's probably shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you'd like to discuss? Uh, I guess I can tell you a little bit what's in the future for Soulless Game Studio. Um, yeah. Other than Pocket Paragons. Mm-hmm. We're working on a game called Space Line that's kind of like being a commanding officer in a game of StarCraft, the card game. And it has a very poppy comic book look. So that's going to be our next like IP, we'll call it. I also work with Brigger Creative, and a piece of Solis Game Studio makes it into various games to them. Kind of like, hey, Chris, can you do dev? Or Chris, can you do the rulebook? Or do you want to do card layout or producer? So we actually work on a lot of games a year, and I'm sure you'll see them uh, over time. <laughs> awesome. And how can people keep up with you on social media? Yeah, so the best place is Twitter. You can follow me personally at CGC Fox, or you can also follow the company at Solis underscore studio. We can put that into the description of this later. Twitter's definitely the best place. Um, and then from there, you can follow us at Instagram and Facebook, but it, Twitter's where it all begins. Awesome, Chris. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. And looking forward to getting some more Pocket Paragons out. Right, well, thank you for having me. And I believe that will do it for us today. Make sure to check out our website. Our Instagram and Twitter is at cardboard underscore time. Take a look at our Board Game Geek podcast page. And if you have any questions, suggestions, or ideas for discussion topics, please email cardboardtime at gmail.com. And as always, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks for another episode of Cardboard Time. Happy gaming.